Introducing Simply Light Lemonade. Can you hear that? That's the sweet sound of 75% less sugar and calories. We want to make sure you hear it's 75% less sugar and calories because it tastes so good. Let's talk about games for a second. Some teachers are using experience points to track performance instead of letter grades. Playing Tetris has been shown to reduce symptoms of PTSD. If you want to get engaged with movements in the gaming landscape, check out Plus 7 Intelligence, the podcast about how games impact people. You can subscribe to Plus 7 Intelligence on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Season 2, available now. Welcome to the Podglomerate. I don't have the brain capacity to hold all of the little cogs of a, of a novel in my head. I can only think generally, and once I get it down, then I can start to see how this is going to come to life, and it, it grows fuller and fuller and more uh, elaborated with every revision. And so I'm constantly battling to get to the book I imagine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Writers Who Don't Write. I'm Kyle. And I am Jeff. And that was a strange impression um, of what? I'm not sure who. Yeah, nobody knows. It's somebody. I just watched the Andre the Giant documentary. And oh, so are you trying to be Andre the Giant? Is that what he sounded like? No, not even close. I was just like a wrestling announcer and I wasn't uh, that good at it. Okay. But that was a great documentary. You should check it out. You know what I watched recently was the Mike Tyson Netflix documentary, Ooh. Uh, which is another fascinating look into the life of Mike Tyson, which honestly watches like it was edited by Mike Tyson. <laughs> so it was bad. It's not bad. It's it's it, it was missing a lot can't of the audio away. pieces. No, no, not even that. He did uh, like whoever edited it did a decent job, but it's. I, I can't even describe it. You just have to watch it. And there are several points where you're like, is he saying this knowing that there's a game? You can't tell whether or not he's performing, but you can hear the years and years and years of therapy that he's been through when he speaks. Also, I've been big into documentaries recently. I just watched Miro about uh, mountain climbing. I, I watched like five more climbing documentaries immediately after. That so. seems like a healthy thing to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this was like middle of the winter. Like I was you know trapped on my couch i couldn't do anything so i keep forgetting I, how cold and rainy and disgusting it is back where you live yeah i for the listeners knowledge i literally live in kyle's old apartment yes and i live in kyle's new apartment where it is always 65 and sunny 65 is not that warm kyle it's been it pretty is, nice out here it is let me tell you when i saw those pictures of the subway uh flooding at 42nd street I just, you know, I felt justified. Who's on the show this week? This week on the show, we have Tom Rockman. Why don't you tell me a little bit about why we brought him on the show? I think we talked a little bit about this in the interview, but I first heard about Tom when the Imperfectionists came out in 2011. Uh, and it's not like I heard about him because, you know, uh, of anything special. It's just his book was everywhere. He was on all the radio shows. It was reviewed in all the papers, on all the websites. It was in the window of every bookstore that you saw. And that was uh, my entry into the media industry. I was working in book publicity at that point, And I was writing some random blogs for various websites. 
and I was just fascinated by everything to do with you know the media industry, newspapers, websites, uh, magazines, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And this book is literally about the changing media industry and the media landscape over the course of like a 50-year period, uh, specifically focused on the newspaper industry. Uh, and it was just fantastic. So when his publicist reached out to us about his new book called The Italian Teacher that just came out in March, uh, I jumped at the opportunity to check it out. Um, you know, One of the, the benefits of this is that I gave away my copy of The Imperfectionist a while ago, so I asked his publicist to send me one. Uh, so now I have a new copy, and I just reread the whole thing. Um, you know, It was awesome. I couldn't recommend his work more. The Italian Teacher was also like a phenomenal book. Everybody should check it out. Totally different vibe of The Imperfectionist, but you know, still pretty amazing. And, and we really dig into that in the interview itself. Uh, how'd I do, Kyle? I think that just about covered everything that wasn't in the interview. So why don't we just get straight to it? Sure. Uh, and you can find his book online wherever books are sold uh, or at tomrackman.com. Welcome to the show, Tom. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Thanks for joining us. So, Tom, the first time that I personally ever heard of you was when The Imperfectionist came out. And, uh, you know, it's because it was everywhere. It was being reviewed all over the place. It was, you know, in the windows of every bookstore you walked by. Uh, So I'm wondering if you could kind of chat with us a little bit about what that experience was like uh, as a, a debut novelist that had such a big hit. Yeah, it was it was uh, life changing and extraordinary and um, unforgettable. Really, I mean, it's 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 a funny situation because if you want to to write fiction, then you spend years um, really on the outside of the the glass, looking in and um, thinking, how on earth will I get uh, any editor to ever pay attention to me, and worrying along the way that perhaps your ideas for for what makes for valid writing and valid fiction are shared by nobody else and that even your closest relatives aren't being completely candid with you uh and you just never really know and then um you know i i put that book out and the response was i i got in particular a a, a really really great review that kind of changed everything because the book had been out for a few weeks i think four or five weeks or something and had gotten nice reviews and uh but you know it was it was a debut novel I had no particular reputation and and it was just humming along and looked likely to fade away and then it got this this rave that was ended up being on the cover of the New York Times book review and that um, put the book on the bestseller list the next week or something and changed everything and um, so that was that was really extraordinary it was my, my dream had always just been to have a novel published and that I was actually publishing one and that people were reading it and liking it was way more than I had ever expected. And, uh, and I hadn't fantasized it would go that way at all. Uh, it was just, uh, amazing good fortune and, um, and fortune and luck is, is really important to, to factor into this because it would be easy to say, Oh, you know, I, this that it was a great book and God, it's, it's just desserts, but, but that's really not fair or, or uh, to, um, or, or real, because the the truth of the matter is, is that there are always lots of good books that get very little attention, lots of good works of art uh, that that don't earn their due, and that we have this, I think, fantasy uh, that that in the end, great uh, works are 
justly recognized and bad ones fade away and and i just don't believe that it works that way so um i happen to have the amazing good fortune of of a stunning review by somebody who happened to like the book or look you know if if it had simply been the case that it was handed to somebody who didn't like the book for who knows what reason then my entire not just my career but my whole life would have been different um and uh and so so these things are they they turn on tiny little bits of fortune sometimes and uh you can't account for that um but it certainly changed my my life considerably and it it gave me the possibility of of persisting with the writing and uh, and doing it full time and and writing a, a second novel and a third and so uh it's been it's been amazing and um and I, and as i say i feel immensely lucky it's very funny in in the italian teacher you actually have a comment uh where you know becoming an artist is you know part timing part luck and part skill and i, I know it, that's not an exact quote but uh, it sounds like you know what you just mentioned to us about your writing career yeah i think that it's, i don't remember that line exactly but it's something like it's um 50 timing 50 percent uh geography and the rest is is talent uh yeah. so yeah <laughs> so definitely i mean that's that's you know to to bring it to the book back to the book that is indeed uh among the themes of this book is is what is it that that makes for great art and how do we end up deciding that that work x is great and work and work y should be thrown in the dustbin and are these are these decisions fair and just and and how do we come upon them so yeah that's definitely at the heart of this book uh there's also a big theme in the book about how uh how often great artists are despicable people so i i have to confess when we started doing the research for this book after i started reading it and i i started liking it i was looking for uh examples of you being despicable in popular media but i couldn't really find any yeah, I've clearly covered my trails very, my, my tracks very well. Um, uh, yeah, no, I it's uh, I, I'm disappointingly lacking in kind of debauchery and and horror stories like that, which is maybe not disappointing to to my family and people who know me, but but uh, makes for uh, a less juicy sales package. And that's quite frankly another of the things that this book talks about is how uh, part of the way that we end up judging and deeming uh, artists to be great is because they have the personality, they have the they they are acting as we expect and want artists to behave the artistic types take on this role in society that they are the ones who don't have to follow the rules they have these unconventional lives and there there's a kind of fantasy wish fulfillment in looking upon these secular saints and uh, allowing them to do all the naughty things that that some of us might want to do um and uh and if you happen to have a, a wild, crazy personality with all sorts of of, um, of addiction and mental illness and um, and cruel behavior and who knows what else, then um, you and those around you will suffer terribly from it. But uh, that tragedy will also make for an easier sales pitch, and that, that's quite a, a, a dark fact to to realize that part of what we consume and admire in the arts is determined by something like that. Do you think writing is By the way, did you notice how well that... I managed to avoid admitting any bad deeds? In that I, I did. I, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to let you get away with that. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I was going to ask, do you think the same thing holds for writing wherein art typically with 
the type of art you're talking about in the Italian teacher, there's some need to contextualize it because it's just a picture. It doesn't come with any words to explain it. And oftentimes um, you don't know the artist personally, but it does it feel different with writing at all because you get uh, more of a glimpse into the person behind it? Well, um, it's a very good question. I think that the, that what both share is what I was what I was uh, alluding to there that that the richer the 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 story behind the work then the easier it is to get people to become interested in it but one difference as you note is that the story is in the story of a book whereas often with art particularly if it's either abstract or if it's very peculiar uh, then it needs to be explained, and um, and it needs to it comes to life through knowing the the story of it. Um, but I, I think actually that that there's more in common than there is uh, that's different, um, just because. I find all the time, you know, especially at this stage right now of the book's release, uh, I'm going around talking about the book and. Um, and I, this is now the the third novel that I've that I've done this with, and I I have realized that on each occasion that you need to have a story that goes along with the telling of the book because you can't talk to a an interviewer or uh, somebody writing about um, about what you've written about and just have them say this is the story of the book, this is what happens, end of end of interview. They want to know how the book is actually kind of a little bit true a little bit your real life um how there's some tale of you getting landing on a deserted island and and coming up with this idea as you know you were bit by a dolphin or something like that i mean they want that if dolphins do bite humans i'm not sure but uh they want some kind of a some kind of a, a dashing daring thrilling story that goes along with the story which has always tempted me mightily to just invent uh, a story to go along with the story so that I can when I when I do the promotions I can say that I was indeed bit by a dolphin and uh, and all that sort of stuff and um, I've never quite had the courage to to lie uh, in that way but but it is true of both um, the visual art and and literary art that that it helps immensely if there's some drama behind the work itself I was, to be honest, really taken by the book, and I, I didn't really expect to be just because I don't have any background in like you know formal art studies or anything like that. And it was, I'm I'm just kind of curious because you 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 tend to write about these topics that you know are seemingly obscure. Uh, you know, I, I read a review in the Washington Post about the Italian teacher that mentioned that uh, the Imperfectionists uh, was a book about you know newspaper reporters and journalists, and you know initially he thought that uh, you know only other reporters and journalists would be interested in reading it, and then it exploded to the outside world. And it seems like the Italian teacher has done something similar there. And so I'm wondering if like you're going into these writing about these topics on purpose, uh, you know, kind of like trying to explain uh, a niche world to everybody else or is it just like what you're interested in and these are just like you know byproducts no i think i think you're right i think you're right i think that they are they are areas that i've had glimpses in or that i was really curious to to get access to and use the the book writing as a as a way to do so and i think that um that if you're you know that's necessary for any book whatever the subject you need to feel a desperate passion to to talk about the things in that book it can't just be reciting what you know because if you do that then it comes out in the 
in the in the read that people can tell that this is just uh, this is just weary for you as well. So it has to it has to impassion you as a writer when you're setting out to do it. And these were areas that I was interested in in peeking into. And 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 once I had peeked in, either in my professional life through journalism uh, in the past when I worked in that field, or through art and the arts, which uh, I had always been a consumer of and always been curious about. Um, I realized that that there was a great deal that was a great deal of misapprehensions in how we we look at these things, and it, I took great pleasure in both books in in trying to expose some of those. But uh, another side that I would say that that links both books and perhaps I, I would hope explains uh, part of the reason that that this novel interested you is that. Um, I never want to write a book that is that is just uh, about a uh, a phenomenon in society, something kind of um, abstract and and lifeless like that. I try to tell very very personal stories that. Um, that zoom in on characters and hopefully engage the the reader and also make the point that in some of these big parts of our society, big parts like uh, the news media or the culture, that often what is guiding things is not necessarily uh, big, powerful, um, high concepts, but instead it's small, human, petty, animalistic drives that are that are really guiding this this world and the 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 biggest powers that are operating in it and that's something that i found so fascinating from the inside and i and i've wanted to write about so i i try to find a very human little particular tales within them and and connect that to the uh to the reader yeah and it was interesting because you know the reader at least in the italian the italian teacher the reader was kind of learning about this world along with pinch uh who is the main character in the story um you know he his opinion and ideas kind of evolve as the story goes on um which you know you you have to take it all with a grain of salt and whether or not you want to trust or, or agree with his thought process but uh you know it worked on my end so that was, <laughs> Good, that was uh, very cleverly done mm-hmm. so let's talk about though the 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 journalistic work that sort of informs that worldview of when you zoom in and have a clear understanding of people's sort of animalistic motivations. Can you talk to us? One of the things that particularly interests me is how you made the transition from journalism to fiction writing. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about how you went about it, how long you've been planning it for, and some of the preparations you did uh, to make that leap? Yes, I had always wanted to well i say always i from the the time of my graduation from college i i really wanted to write fiction uh not be a journalist but it was my conviction at that time at the age of 22 and having had a relatively uh nice settled peaceful middle class existence in uh in beautiful canada that um i didn't yet have sufficient experiences to justify writing a novel that I felt like I still needed to see more. And when I read uh, other novels, uh, ones that fascinated and, and impressed me, typically contained experiences and a sense of the globe that was so much richer and deeper than any I held at that time that I felt it was necessary for me to go out and improve my writing skills and in, in broaden my experiences and and uh, and see the world, really. And 
I also, however, needed to fund myself and uh, and um, pay my bills, and so I had to find a job to do that. I couldn't just wander around. So um, I figured that journalism would would just about tick those boxes. I could, if I played my cards right, travel, and I would have to write a lot, and I would read a lot, and I would see different places and and talk to different people, and so. Um, then I had to figure out how in, how in hell does one become a journalist, and uh, it seemed to me that that you needed to um, be a journalist to become a journalist. What I mean by that is that I I figured I would uh, I would try to get a crash course in in this kind of work by going to journalism school. But to apply, you had to already have clips uh, as a journalist. So um, with great haste, I contributed all sorts of articles uh, everywhere I could, mostly being uh, University of Toronto affiliated newspapers. And then I got, I, I sold a piece to the Miami Herald, which was very exciting at the time. So I had no idea what I was doing. And um, and then uh, I submitted an application, I went to journalism school and got a little more uh, of, an, of an understanding of it, but still hadn't properly worked in the field. And then I was hired uh, the Associated Press in New York as an editor on its foreign news desk, which was um, a preliminary step to being sent abroad as a foreign correspondent, which eventually they did and sent me to uh, to Rome, where I worked. And um, all of this time, I still harbored my my longing to write fiction, and and I thought perhaps I could do it on my days off and weekends. But the nature of the work was so intense and exhausting that I just didn't have it in me to muster the the stamina for that. And I realized that that um, as I was uh, as I was heading toward the end of my twenties, that I was looking a great deal more like a journalist than like a, a, a novelist and that I better make a decision soon. So uh, I quit my job in Rome and took my savings and I moved to Paris where I didn't know anybody and uh, where I had no connections whatsoever. I just thought uh, I wanted to stay in, in Europe and I thought that this would be a place that I could find a relatively cheap place to, to live and, and just uh, pretend I was taking intensive French language classes and in, in fact uh, be taking intense um, classes on on uh, on my own writing taught by my computer screen in front of me. So I just um, sat there and tried uh, best as I could to to, to, to co come up with something and um, and that was how it, that was how it all began really so uh, it was a process that that uh, that began in a backward way really to become a fiction writer I tried to do something else first and I found that the um, that the journalistic background has proved incredibly useful to me in ways that I didn't necessarily expect. In addition to granting me the experiences that I'd hoped to to uh, to gather, um, it also gave me uh, a great deal of practical technical skill in storytelling and in in research. You know what what we would call it in in that business reporting, but that you you call in the in the fiction game uh, research. And and I would I now use many of the reporting skills for my research. So. In writing this book, uh, set in a, it begins in the 1950s in Rome when I wasn't even alive. Uh, I I found people who had been there, who had been part of the expat art scene, and I interviewed them. I tracked them down, and and not just uh, reading anecdotes about great artists, but also um, meeting them wherever I could, here in London, in Italy, and elsewhere, and asking them questions that that I really wanted to understand and explore. In this book, and 
as it's important to me to try to lend authenticity to what I write as well. And um, so I, I like to do a lot of research and, and I find as well that it has a, a secondary impact that is absolutely critical, which is that you think, oh, okay, this is just going to make the scene seem more real if I do more research. But it actually has an effect on the story that you tell, because once you understand the the reality of what it was to try to make it as, a, as an artist here, or what it was to apply for this fellowship there, or whatever it might be, whatever the subject of your work, uh, then you it opens up all sorts of different story avenues for you that you never thought of that get inspired by what you learn, that you, you that uh, such and such character is at a drunken party and uh, steps on paint and uh, an artist signs his name in that guy's shoes and who knows what. Something comes to you uh, that, that <laughs> opens up a whole separate uh, separate road for you to take. And so it has, it has been tremendously valuable and it has a, a further benefit of keeping me um, in the larger world, that there's this big danger for fiction writers that you start writing and you just write about everything you did before you started writing and your your next, you know, the, the 35 years of, of books that come out are about the first 35 of your years of your life and the, the second 35 are spent in a, in a, in a study uh, with, a, with, a, with a keyboard in front of you. And, <laughs> and to, to try to avert that happening too uh, too greatly i uh, i also i still do write some journalism here and there um in order that i can still go out and and be engaged in what's going on introducing simply light lemonade can you hear that that's the sweet sound of 75 percent less sugar and calories we want to make sure you hear it's 75% less sugar and calories because it tastes so good. I've seen you mention previously that you also like to write in isolation, and you mentioned a little bit of it there when you moved to Paris uh, not knowing anyone. One of the things I'm interested in is when you're doing all of this research, you're, you're going around and interviewing these people you think might provide some background or some interesting information on the story. When do you know? When do you know? When do, when do you cross that tipping point where you're like, all right, I'm ready to go rent a villa in Sevilla and just hole up for 10 days and get what I can out of this? Is there a point in the process or is it more of a fluid thing? Actually, I usually try to write uh, the story before I interview people. Um, because the the whole for me the whole writing process is is also rewriting it uh, on and on and on in in many different stages and so uh, I but I do need to first of all know what my questions are what my what I'm interested in what's going to be relevant to this story and that is much more important in the most preliminary rudimentary draft than having the details uh, accurate so my first version will be sketched in and I might have uh, I might be more interested in in let's say the the um, contentious squabble that happens in the art studio rather than making sure that the way that the art studio is described or the way that painting and mixture of oils and pigments, uh, that doesn't need to be right at that stage. It needs to be right eventually, but it doesn't need to be right then. So um, I try to get the story out first to get to, to, to make sure that I'm clear on that. And then I really dig into the, to the, uh, to, to a deeper level of, 
of research. Um, so it's it's I, if I sat around and just researched endlessly and then um, to get to a certain point, I, I think there would be the danger both that you would end up using the research as an excuse not to write and secondarily that secondly that um that you you wouldn't necessarily be asking the right questions until you kind of knew what you were looking for you touched on something that i think a lot of people really fall into as a whole uh using the research as an excuse not to write and i'm wondering if you can expand on that because you know it, it, it can be done in fiction, nonfiction, you know, spending too much time actually uh, looking into something as opposed to implementing it. Um, I mean, can you give us like a couple examples of, of where that may have happened to you in the past and how you got past it? Sure. Well, I think that the, 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 the one is bedeviled most nowadays by the internet in this regard, that the internet is such an amazing resource and it's also the exact same machine that we're using to write on usually. So uh, it's hard not to be lured away when you're writing that scene of the, the squabble in the art studio to think, well, wait a minute, uh, would he be using, um, you know, uh, I don't know, a metal tube for his paints or would he be using a bowl to mix them or i mean you know if you're you, you can easily get distracted by that because you have the world's or i should say human history's greatest encyclopedia right there um and so it, it's it's amazingly tempting and for that reason um i I have used in the past uh, programs that block the internet so that I don't get sucked into it. Um, I actually don't use it as much anymore because I think I've I've gained a little bit more discipline in that regard, and I I don't. But if I if I'm at the 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 raw stage of just creating a story right at the beginning, that's the period that is both most demanding and both hardest to to stick to because you're afraid. I mean, if you're me anyway, part of that experience is that it's thrilling it's exciting and when it when it begins to come off there's a kind of euphoria in it but before it's come off there's a, a kind of terror in it too because there's the fear that you're you're not gonna be able to do this that you're gonna fail and you're gonna see your own failure and you alone are to blame for it and so um i think that that uh, that uh part of part of writer's block is is also is also um, a very normal aversion to things we're afraid of, and um, and if you the, the danger with the internet is that we have something that is that is rather at least superficially comforting right there, uh, especially when somebody well, what, sends what about, you a nice email or ping or whatever what it is. About, yeah, sorry, go ahead. It, it, and what about though? Because uh, I, I do, we come back to this idea over and over again on this show, and, and our listeners probably want to kill us, but. I do think that writer's block is more an issue of like somebody who is looking for excuses or is too lazy to actually put something on the page. Um, and I don't mean that in, in like a negative way. I just think that there are so many other things and like you really need the drive to be able to pull something off. But I, I'm just curious, like, what do you think about pre-internet because this can't be a problem that is just developed in the last 20 years yeah no no absolutely not i mean you're you're right that it's it's obviously it precedes the internet and writer's block has a long history um as does as do kind of blockages in in the other arts as well and um i think that that uh that that the the fear side of it is really important because um, and well, let me let me tell you from a personal personal way that I cope with this, which is that um, I I try to I decide ahead of time that what I write is going to be bad. Now, 
what I mean by that is that I don't think to myself <laughs> that what I eventually try to publish will be bad. I hope that will be good. And I, if I thought it was bad, I wouldn't try to publish it. But I do uh, definitely accept the the truth. And this is not a this is not a, a trick. This is an absolute truth that my first version is going to be really bad. I don't know if I can swear on here, but a uh, a swear yeah, word. Please do. Okay, that my first absolute. version yeah. would be shit that i accept that and and um i think that that is that was the the root of my struggles with with getting into things in the first place was and still exists today that there's that kind of fear like oh my god i'm gonna i'm gonna be exposed before myself that i'm gonna see <laughs> that that this this fantasy of going around telling people i'm a i'm a writer or that i want to write a book or that i want to do a screenplay or i want to whatever it is that um that in fact people are that i am secretly a clown and i'm not really gonna do this because i suck at it and that's the fear right so um if you're living with that fear then then what that means is that you are judging every single sentence when you get in this rut that you anything that comes out you think is it you know why isn't this Tolstoy and uh, and you condemn yourself for it because you're comparing it not to Tolstoy's first draft which would actually probably would have been pretty good but let's say you're not comparing it to a normal <laughs> first draft you're comparing it to the final version that was poured over for for years and years and was labored over after a career of of uh, uh, extraordinary experience and and repetition and you get to see the final product and you, you would have the 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 madness to compare that refined polished product to your first uh, your first little um, attempt there's no way that it could stand up and so you're actually making a, a, a category error of of comparing two things that are that are not alike and uh, you're going to lose in that comparison so instead i look at my um at my screen and prepare myself for absolute shit uh, that it's going to come out really badly but the point is is for me is to to get out what i want to get out the the, the 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 essence of the story and so that I understand what then I'm working on and the important thing for me is not to write well at first but to gradually build towards knowing what kind of book I ultimately want to have written and then once I once I get that in mind then it's a question of just laboring toward it and that's the part where where the um, the industrious and the unindustrious are separated because at that stage the ones who who will write that book are the ones who just keep at it through the labor and even drudgery of many of those stages of revision until they reach finally the book that they intended to write and the worst kind of fiction is the stuff that people haven't revised right that the uh, the other side of this this coin is that you do have some people who are deluded in the other way who think that everything they write is Tolstoy on the first go and those people are are writing drivel usually and they're awful bores because they've they they are maybe um uh grandiose types who believe that anything they do is going to be exceptional and uh, they have a, a, a real problem in the other direction that they're not going to work on it enough but if you accept that you are going to write badly but you're going to work on it too then it takes some of the stress off you can say okay so this is going to be bad but let's see let's see what the story is that's what matters first which type of person is bear Bavinsky? bear Bavinsky is uh i think um well, it's a bit different, I think, in the sort of painting that he does because he's working in um, in this 
moment of abstract expressionism where it was all supposed to be incredibly passionate wild colors thrown across the canvas and and it was all about inner emotions and psychology and if you think of say pollock uh jackson pollock's painting who was a would have been a contemporary of bear Vinsky, that his stuff is all about you know literally flinging these these um bits of enamel paint across the canvas and so forth and dripping them and, and without without having a, a, an entirely clear view of how it's going to end up so they were trying to to somehow capture the passion of the the, the making of it and yet there's no way that these guys would have been any good if they didn't really work on it if they hadn't worked in it a lot beforehand and so i think that um that uh, ultimately there are almost th th first of all to be clear there are some frauds who appear in all of the arts there are some people who are bad and are successful and there's no rationale to it and that exists but aside from that there's also a lot of very talented people and that those talented people uh are almost invariably um gifted most significantly with with uh, dedication uh, and doggedness and not um, necessarily with with genius. I mean, genius is, is, is much less important than doggedness, I think, in, uh, in really achieving something in the arts. But a little of both helps. So we're at the point now where we normally transition to talk about the story you struggle to tell, and I think this is a good opportunity to get specific about one of okay. those times that you talked about struggling okay. with. So, so um, I will, yeah. I'll go back to, I intentionally left out uh, a bit of the of my story of going from journalist to writer because I knew we'd come back to it here. And that is the stage when I got to Paris and um, I had this, this uh, I had calculated that I had enough money to survive for a year because I had been you know on a decent not amazing but like a decent salary in Rome which is a very cheap city to live and I had no family and I was a guy at my mid-20s and so I was really able to save and I had a few thousand bucks saved there and I went to Paris and and I, I calculated out if I got this this little kind of rickety uh, one bedroom um, that I could I could manage for about a year on my savings and I figured about a year is how long it would take to write a novel so I sat down to do just that and I wrote uh, um, very little at first uh, it was precisely the kind of block that we're talking about um, that 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 kind of emotional psychological uh, dread that I I had wanted to to become a writer uh, for many years and I had in fact embarked on an entire career for many years to do to do to achieve that and now was the moment of truth that I was going to see was it all worth it and if it wasn't I had been a journalist for stupid reasons a career that I had never necessarily wanted to go into but I had uh, entirely thwarted my life if this if I wasn't going to be able to do this so um I had freedom, I had time, I had a, the quiet of this unknown but beautiful city, and I uh, settled in to, to try to write, and I was just petrified of doing so. So I found other things to do. I mean, they were sort of writing-related, you know, um, I would, but, but I kept sitting down to write this novel, and um, and just absolute bilge came out each time and and it was so uh discouraging and dispiriting because i i thought that that each awful sentence which i should add was a thrill to do as i was doing it i felt oh my god this is coming along i've got something here because when you have that idea and you're inventing a scene and you have the story coming together and the characters start doing things that that uh that seem to occur to them 
maybe an instant before they occur to you it's a it's a euphoric feeling and you can be fooled into thinking that what you've just done is good and then you go back and read it and if you're honest you see that it's absolutely terrible and then it's that 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 moment is awfully dis dispiriting and I kept having those moments and I kept making no progress really. No, I kept thinking, do I, should I write some, just maybe forget the novel and try to do short stories. But then how am I going to really start a career off that if I, and you know, even a short story, I didn't have anything that was really going anywhere. So it was, it was a, um, uh, a, a, a months were going by and I was, I was um, using up my time very, very, um, very, very poorly. So, uh, I finally, in a in a kind of moment of decision, decided that I would uh, that I would I would um, write a novel in 30 days. I had this plan that I would write 10 pages a day, and that that would add up to 300 pages, and I'd have a novel. So rather than dithering and restarting and reworking, because that's what I kept doing, I would write a page and then just polish it endlessly and never get beyond that page. But this way, I was going to do 300 pages, never look back as I went along. I would not allow myself to reread any of it as I as I wrote until those 30 days were up. So I, I set out a schedule and I did exactly that, 30 days without any days off in a row, and I had my 300 pages, and they were absolutely awful. Um, but I also had a uh, the the a sense of a full story, I had a sense of a, an outline of a full novel, and I finally knew what that novel could be, and um, that was huge a huge breakthrough for me. Uh, and I should add that this novel was ended up being terrible. It never got much better than that. It's uh, hidden in a drawer and will be should be burned at some point. Uh, I never published it, um, and it should never be published. But it was it was it was part of an education in writing that I hold um, that that was so valuable to me because I had an education in another kind of writing in nonfiction writing, but I'd never figured out how you get a character to leave one room and go into the kitchen without it being boring you know that the sort of the technical side of it how do you do this and um and and by not worrying about the quality of my efforts but instead worrying about just getting stuff down that was my breakthrough and um and and ultimately uh, i wasn't able to to rend from that very poor material anything worth publishing but i was able to figure out how you write a novel at least how i write a novel and that is by first telling the story and then figuring out what the novel is going to be after that because uh, i just don't have a i don't have the brain capacity to hold all of the little uh, all of the little cogs of a of a of a novel in my head i can only think generally and uh, and i once i get it down then i can start to see how this is going to come to life and it it grows fuller and fuller and more uh, elaborated with every revision and so I'm constantly just kind of um, battling to get to the book I imagine but you haven't thrown that novel into the kiln I haven't yet but I wish I had the courage to because because I could get hit by a car and then uh, but I, I'm pretty sure that nobody would publish it it's so so <laughs> so such junk but um, but but not junk in my in my uh, in my um, history in my kind of training it was very useful 
Tom, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us today. Um, where can our listeners find you They can you find me at tomrackman.com is my website. I have a Facebook authors page, and um, I read my notes in both of those. So uh, please don't say horrible things to me. It hurts my feelings. <laughs> uh, but you can, you can also, you can also uh, say hello. I'd be happy to well, see that. Thank you so much, Tom, for joining us. This was a pleasure. Thanks so much. A pleasure is mine. That was an episode of Writers Who Don't Write. I'm Jeff. You can find me on Twitter at Jeff Umbro. My co-host is Kyle Craner. He is on Twitter at Kyle Craner. You can find Writers Who Don't Write at www.podcast. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Just give it a search. You can find us online at www.podcast.com or at thepodglomerate.com where you can find Writers Who Don't Write and a dozen other shows that will pique your interest. We want to thank Tom Rackman for coming on the show. You can find him online at tomrackman.com. That's R-A-C-H-M-A-N. You can pick up a copy of his book, The Imperfectionist, or The Italian Teacher, or any of his other uh, collections or novels, wherever books are sold. The music that you heard at the top and the bottom of the hour is from Ryan Dan of Holland Patton Public Library. And the music that you heard in the middle of the show is from Ben Sound of bensound.com. We want to thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please take a screenshot of this episode and post it on your Instagram story or your Snapchat story, or give us a rating or review on your podcast app of choice. It really helps us both book new guests on the show because they can see kind of the social media engagement that we get. And also, uh, you know, it helps other listeners find the show because we don't pay anything to promote it. So we really appreciate all the time that you've been spending with us and we want to find more and more people to share that desire and passion and we will keep bringing you shows for years to come. Stay tuned for our next episode in two weeks. We have some very special guests in the plural. Uh, I can't tell you who they are yet, but you will hear it in a little bit. Thanks a lot. Pod Glomer, a sonic universe.